Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. All right, guys, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, Acts 2. I want to uh, continue or step back into uh, what we've been learning about when you pray. When you pray, uh, what happens? There's a brand new uh, concept that I want to begin to share with you today or an application of this truth. I want to take a couple of weeks and give you faith to follow this opportunity to respond. Very excited about what we're doing. Uh, You know, coming with John Bosman, uh, the end of, of 2019, God began to really speak some fresh things into our hearts. And I'm going to revisit one of, the, one of those truths that he shared. And, and then it just continues to unfold. So we want to look at this. What are we learning about prayer? Uh, this, this comes right out of our master plan study we did last year. Prayer is one of those core central values in the way God designed his church to operate. It's not a ritual. Someone say not a ritual. Prayer is not a ritual. It's part of relationship. It's ever growing. It's ever developing. It's an incredible privilege. Everyone can be included. Aren't you thankful you don't have to wait till Sunday to pray? Can somebody say amen about that? Aren't you thankful you don't have to be reverend, bishop, apostle, father, prophet, somebody to pray? How many know Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Then you know what? The moment you pray in his name, you have an audience with the God of the universe. Isn't that exciting? Anywhere you are, wherever you are. Prayer is so powerful. We're learning. What happens when we pray? It's a key to God's master plan. Well, let's look here uh, to begin. And as I said, I want to begin to take us over these next couple of weeks to an application of this that I believe has the potential to really shift us to the next level at Calvary. Uh, I've been reading. I don't know if you have. A lot of pastors I'm in contact with. uh, I've been reading about some things happening. Guys, let me tell you something. There is uh, the beginnings of what I believe could be an awakening happen in this nation. I, have, I didn't hear about it on CNN, ABC, NBC, CNBC. I didn't even hear about it on Fox. I'm hearing about it from pastors. I'm hearing about it from different groups. There, there are revivals and prayer meetings breaking out all over, uh, really the southeastern part of the United States. Some very unusual things are happening, some outpourings. I really believe that God is speaking to his church. I believe God is preparing us for what could be a a next wave of anointing in this nation. How many would say with your pastor, we need revival in America? We need a mighty move of God in this nation. And and, and it just seems like the little sparks are starting to happen. And, And, of course, I don't know everything going on everywhere, but what's coming to me, what I'm hearing, what's being shared with me uh, are are really exciting. So we want to make sure... That as we're studying prayers, what happens when you pray, that we begin to look at it even on a larger scale. Not just individually, I've been teaching you that. But what happens as a church begins to pray in a a focused way. We're going to see some of that today. Well, Let's go to Acts chapter 2 and and let's look at these these verses here together. I just want to refresh this with you, all right? Acts 2.42. Now, this is the immediate response of the church. This is the first... uh, pattern the church followed right out of the upper room. This is how the church operated in its inception, its genesis, its pristine environment. Let's look at this. Verse 42. They devoted themselves. Someone say devoted. It wasn't haphazard. It was a devotion. Okay. They devoted themselves to what the apostles teaching. Okay. The word of God. Teaching of the word. And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. I haven't even spoken on that issue yet. I will this year. All right. And to what? To prayer. 
there were four core values that caused what God did in the upper room to spread beyond the upper room. What we have to, to begin to understand in the church, I believe again, is that the church was never created to just come hide from the big bad world, get a blessing, and then hold on and grit your teeth till you could come back and hide again. Anybody hear what I just said? Let, let, let me try that on this side of the pulpit. I know everybody's here and awake, but just let me give you a second chance. We'll do a rewind. We have to understand that Christianity in this day and time, I want you to get me, is that we are not, uh, as Christians, it's not just something we do once a week. It's not just some little sideline. We, we, we are not huddling here on Sunday, hiding out from the big bad world, getting a little blessing, and then run back in our, our little Christian bubble and hold on to the next week and hope that blessing lasts till I get back. We are here to impact this world with the greatest message that has ever been heard, that Jesus Christ will forgive you and change you and heal you and give you a brand new life. Anybody with me on that today? So what, what we're learning is God had a master plan. To take this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he told the church, don't even start to preach the gospel. Don't even move out of Jerusalem to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, they instantly devoted themselves to the Word of God, to fellowship and breaking bread together, and to prayer. Now, as a result of those four simple things, I want you to see what happened, what immediately happened. What were the results of that? Let's read these next six verses. Verse 43 says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Church family. I don't know what your theological background is or what stream you've been in, if you've been in, in no church stream. Let me tell you, the same God, the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that caused awe to be released in the, in the early church uh, because of wonders, miracles, and signs is the same God today. How many can say amen to that today? I, I believe there has never been a more desperate time for this culture we're in to see the power of God in tangible ways, to see healing, to see miracles, to see signs, to see wonders. That has never diminished. God hasn't changed. The church changed, but God hasn't changed. Amen? So, so immediately what begins to happen? Those things. Let's keep reading verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There was, there was a supernatural uh, unity in that church. Let's read verse 45. Selling their possessions and goods they gave uh, to anyone as he had need. Supernatural generosity resulted from that. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere heart. There, there was a connection with the public worship and meeting together in smaller groups. Everybody follow that pattern? Now listen, verse 47, praising God. They were a worshiping, praising people. How many hear what I'm saying today? Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I believe that God wants to so anoint his praying church. Someone say praying church. I believe that God was so anointed his praying church that even the unsaved will look at favor on the people of God. They're, they're going to say, what a group of people. What, a, what, what an amazing group. So, so praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That's God's bottom line. It has to be the bottom line of the church. If we follow his plan, people are going to come in the kingdom of God. Great things are going to happen. So, so we see that uh, this, this, when we pray, 
When we're in the Word, when we're in fellowship, when we pray, great things begin to happen in the kingdom of God. We must begin to see how we apply that in, in, in a very realistic way. Maybe what, what we need to understand is a little bigger picture. So let's, I want to take you through three scriptures here. Go to Matthew 21 and verse 12. Matthew 21, verse 12. There, there is something, let me share with you, uh, God is wanting to do. God is wanting, hear what I'm saying, for the church to create an atmosphere where the Spirit of God can dwell and never cease. God wants His church to create an atmosphere that will welcome the presence of God that can be manifested day and night, night and day, and take us to another level. How many are interested in that? You'll say amen. That God can use us to create a place, to create a house, to create an atmosphere that will allow the presence of God to constantly dwell. Not just come and visit, but to dwell there. Amen? To stay there, to remain there, to shift the things going around. So I want you to get this concept of a house, of a dwelling, of a place, but it's really not one that you can build with your hands, okay? So let's look at Matthew 21, and uh, look at the terminology Jesus uses, beginning in verse 12. Matthew 21, 12. I've got to lay some foundation for us these next two or three weeks. I don't want you to miss these, please. Now, they tell me today, it, 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 it really hurts me as a pastor, they tell me today, the average church in America, that only 25% of the people go to church every Sunday. Ouch. Then they say, the next 25% go every other Sunday. The next 25% go once a month. Ow, that's only 12 times a year. I've got a lot to tell you. I believe God's got a lot to say to us. I, you know, we're not a, church, a stagnant church. We're a church on the move. So I'm going to challenge you. Deal with your pattern over these next two or three weeks. We need to hear this. Can I, is that fair enough? Can I, okay, thank you. All right, so, so watch this. this, this the, Jesus has come into Jerusalem, the great triumphal entry. This is the beginning of the last week before the crucifixion. I want you to see what happens. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple. So as soon as he comes in, this, the palm branches waving, the people shouting and praising, he goes into the temple to see what's going on there, okay? Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Wow. So the first thing he does, why? Listen to this. They had set up an enterprise in an unauthorized place in the temple. What they were doing, they had gone into the courtyard of the Gentiles, which was the only place on the planet, you hear what I said, where a non-Jew could come even on the grounds of the temple, could even remotely get close to the presence of God. But instead of opening our hearts to the world and welcoming the chance for anyone to come even close to God, they took over the court of the Gentiles and turned it into a place where the pilgrims who came to worship God from many places around the world, they couldn't bring their animal sacrifices with them. So what they did, they set up in the courts of the temple a place to sell these sacrifices to the pilgrims coming to worship, but they were doing it at an exorbitant price. They were taking advantage of the heart of these who wanted to come worship. And they were occupying the court of the Gentiles. So Jesus walks in. Good Lord, have mercy. He would not pass as a pastor in the church today. He comes walking in, stops and looks around that place. 
He turns into a Holy Ghost whirlwind. He's throwing benches over. Can you see that? There, we've got such willy-nilly, manby-pamby Christians in America today. If somebody even acted like they had a backbone, they'd leave the church. You know, church in America today is, I'm okay, you're okay. Do what you want to do. You've been listening to James Brown too long. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. It's just a church. We, we, we replace amazing grace with do your thing. Can you see that? That called a deacon meeting and the pulpit committee, and Jesus had been kicked out. He walked in there, threw the tables over, money running everywhere, grabbed a whip. Can you see this? My God. But then what does he say? Look at this. Verse 13. I said too much then, didn't I? Okay, good. Verse 13. Look at this. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called what? Wow. I want you to begin to catch this definition of a place that's in the heart of God. He said, I've got to get rid of this junk. See, because what happens? He said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. Now, I want you to see, and you're going to see this pattern. Now, let's start with us individually. Let's not point fingers at anybody else. Let's look in the mirror today. Come on, anybody with me? Come on, let's be bold enough and honest enough. So I'm finding in this, I'm going to show you a couple of times today, that every time God wants to establish a house of prayer, he has to clean house first. And so he runs these guys out because he says, the word said, Isaiah prophesied, my house is going to be a house of prayer. So I want you to watch what happens. Remember that master plan we just read? I want you to watch what happens immediately when a house of prayer begins to be established. All right? Watch this. Look at the next verse. So he, he runs the, the thieves out. He says, we're going to make this a house of prayer. Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Is that the master plan? He gets rid of the thieves and the robbers and the counterfeits and brings in a house of prayer. And the blind and the lame who couldn't get in now come walking into the house of prayer and healing breaks out in that place. Anybody with me right now? I'm just, look, here it is. Verse 15, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and this is what really got him, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. So, so when, the, when the thieves were run out, and the presence of God came in, miracles started to happen, praise started to happen, and religious people got upset by it. I'll stop on that one. Let's go to Ephesians 2, verse 19. You see this house thing? Are you getting this? You see it? There, there's, this, there's this sense of, of, of God's manifested presence in a place. Everybody with me? All right, Ephesians chapter 2. I just want to, and let's go to verse 19, Ephesians 2, 19. So watch this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens of God's people and members of God's household. How many are thankful for that? How many are thankful you're not way off in the distance somewhere? You've been born again and saved and brought in the family. Now watch this. Watch, watch, watch. What does he want to do with us? Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles, back to the teaching, and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now once again, he, we, we're seeing a place. A house of prayer. But it really wasn't a physical thing. It was a spiritual dwelling. And once again, we're seeing this picture of the church. In him, verse 21, the whole building 
is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together. Why is he putting his church together? What's the master plan of the church? Look at his goal. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is clear in Scripture that the plan of God as the church evolves, as it was birthed, is that, of, of course, you need buildings, and it's silly to, to, to think you don't need buildings and facilities to minister to children. And, you know, the only people that think you don't need buildings are the people who don't go to them. Come on, don't shout me down. All right. So, of course, we need buildings. Of course, we need facilities. But what God is saying, I want you to build me a spiritual house. There's something in the heart of God. He says, look at, look at this again. Look at verse 22. And in him you too. Tap somebody kindly and say, you too. Come on. And him you too are being what? Built together. Fashioned together. Placed together. What? Uh, to become a dwelling. Jesus said, I want a house of prayer. prayer. We hear a dwelling. And what's, what's this dwelling? A place where God lives by his spirit. All right, let's go back to Matthew chapter Matthew 18, verse 18. Everybody with me? Okay, I want to, I want to, I've, got to, I've got to help us see something here. Matthew 18, 18. All right, now watch this. Again, we're, we're, we're looking at this, this uh, place that prayer and worship builds. Everybody still with me? Matthew 18, 18. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Come on, now he's talking about authority and prayer. He's talking about prayer again. Prayer is the context. I tell you the truth that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay? Now, verse 19. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you. But my Father in heaven, then look at, look, look at the concluding verse. For, why? Because in relation to where Two or three come together in my name. What does he say? There I am in the midst of them. There's something that we have to get our arms around, our faith around, our, our understanding. Is that God is with us at all times. He's one, of the, one of the qualities that only God himself has is omnipresence. He's everywhere at all times. We understand that our lives, when we're born again, we become temples of the Holy Spirit. You are never outside the presence of God. You're never away from the presence of God. As a born-again believer, he's with you 24-7. Even when you're not aware of that, he's with you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. When you're asleep, he's there. When you're walking, he's there. When you're at work, he's there. You are never away from the presence of God as a born-again believer. But what I'm helping us to see today is this building that requires the, the body to come together and do something. There is something that pleases God, a building that, that, that is fashioned by the Spirit when God's people get together in prayer that creates a dwelling place for Him. There is something here, He says, that when we get together, He said, you don't have to have a thousand, just a handful. If you'll get together, watch this, we read it, there I am in the midst of them. So God is with us at all times, but I want you to understand, there is a manifested presence of God. There is another level of his presence that is available to us when we get together. Is everybody with me? There, there's something God says is critical about that. 
And then, uh, I, I didn't write it down, just quoted in Psalm 22, the Bible says, God does what? God inhabits the praise of His people. So can we clearly see there is something about a spiritual dwelling that is the result of prayer and praise and worship that invites God to stay, dwell, remain, and creates the place where everything He said He would do begins to happen. Very important that we understand that, that we begin to see it. I, I don't think it's a coincidence at all that as I began to, you know, I'm always a few weeks ahead praying, preparing what I'm going to do, working, praying, seeking God's will and direction in my messages for us. I think it's amazing, and I don't want you to miss this. It's prophetic. It's prophetic that we closed on the Beltline campus last year in January. And all my negotiations with the Aldi Grocery Company, it seemed and sounded as soon as we closed that deal, they were going to raise those buildings and start. They were hot. To, we got to get this done right now. And it delayed and it delayed and it delayed and they didn't. I, people ask me what's going on. I says, not mine anymore. I don't know. <laughs> you know, please call me pastor. Somebody broke in the door. I said, thanks for calling, but it's not mine anymore. You got to call somebody else, you know. So, so they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited. And then this past week, that I'm going to begin to talk to us about a spiritual house. The physical house came down over there. I think that's prophetic. I don't believe that's just coincidental. Let me tell you something else. Uh, sometimes out of the mouth of babes, did you see that's who was prop- or speaking and prophesying here? The Decatur paper, I mean, aren't you? Listen, I used to always say this, hadn't said it in a while, and we have thankfully thanked God we're doing something right. I've always said the real measure of church is if I were to say to us today, guys, it's been real, it's been good, but you know what? I think we've done enough of this. This is the last Sunday at Calvary. We're done after this. Don't come back. Would anybody know about that but us? If a church closes its doors and nobody knows that you haven't done what you're supposed to do in that city. And I'm going to tell you, Decatur has been turned upside down this week watching that building come on the ground. I would turn that place upside down. Everywhere I go, people who've never been there, I can't believe it. I'm just blown. And I said, oh, well, it's okay. It's okay. We knew that was coming. It's all right. And what I keep saying, the same God that did all those miracles in that building is the same God right now. God is good. He's faithful. You know what that is? That's the seed to the future that we have right here. It's, boy, the memories and the testimony. Don't you think it kind of, I didn't sit in my car every day and just watch it. I got to tell you, it's not been fun because of the memories and what it means. But let me tell you something. I believe God is saying something to all of us here. The same God, and I shared this with our anointed excellence, that opened the Jordan for Israel to go in the promised land on the other side. He closed it when they went by. And I believe God's saying something to us, that your last season, listen to me, was good. Your last season, God blessed. But the next one's going to be the best thing that he's ever done in your life. And he's showing us that if we keep moving circumstances change, but there's a house we can build by the anointing of the Holy Spirit and prayer that will supersede anything we've ever seen. Anybody on track with me? Man, God is working. So let's, so, so pastor, I, I see what you're saying. There is a house God's building. 
I believe he's building it any place that his people will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. This house is not a physical house. It's a spiritual house. It is a place that literally so pleases God that he said, think of this. God says, I'm going to just come live with you right there. The spirit of almighty God. Now, so let's go to Amos. Here's the prophecy about this. One verse. One verse. Amos 9, verse 11. Dr. Bosman referred to this. And I believe this gives us a title, if you would, for what we're looking at here. So what is this house, this place, this dwelling that God wants the church to build so they can live in it? Here's one term. I want to make sure you understand it. I'm going to teach you this for a couple of weeks here, okay? Amos 9, 11. Look at this. This is the New King James Version. On that day, there's a day in the future, he said, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repairs damages. I'll raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. What's the tabernacle of David? Do you remember that? Let's look at I have it in another uh, tra- translation, New Living Testament. Look at this. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From the ruins, I will rebuild it and restore. Look at this. I like this. Restore its what? Glory. What in the world is that? What is David's tabernacle? Why did God say here, I'm going to do this? I'm going to restore this. Why why is that so important to God? What what would, would he prophesy in the Old Testament and say there's a fulfillment coming in the New Testament. What, what's going on? You know what I believe? I believe God is saying, I'm going to restore the glory of God to my church. I'm going to bring my presence back in my church. And, and he uses David's tabernacle as a, as, as a point of reference. So, so what, what's David? David's tabernacle. Take a minute. Take a minute before I define that. And let's think about David. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. You remember when David became the king of Israel after many years walking through some obstacles and challenges and what we think are delays? He, he comes finally into the city of Jerusalem. Judah had crowned him king seven years before, and now he's going to be king over the whole nation of Israel. Now, <clears throat> do you remember what Jesus did when he went into the temple? Uh, before he declared it a house of prayer, he had to run some things out. When, G, when, when David reached the city of Jerusalem, the Jebusites were there. That Joshua should have run out, but they left him there. So the first thing David had to do was get the Jebusites out. He had to clear the squatters off God's territory. Can I tell you something? If you're going to build a house of prayer in your life, come on, how many want the whole truth? Nothing but the truth, according to the Word of God. There may be some house cleaning you've got to do. Anybody with me right now? How many want the presence of God uh, enough that you're willing to clean house a little bit to let the Spirit of God move in that place. God, I'm willing. I'm willing. The Jebusites had to get out of there. They had to go. You know who the Jebusites were? Remember, they mocked David. They said, you think you're going to take this city? You, David, it, you know, David, who do you think you are? The blind and the lame can keep you from coming in here. You better watch your smack talk. Well, the next day he came in there, took the city over. Watch this. But David's heart's after God. So one of the first things he did after he secured the city and cleared out those that mocked the presence of God is that he went to a man's house and a place where the ark of God's covenant had been resting. 
Now that was the, the very thing that stayed in the Holy of Holies. And it had been displaced. And what had happened to it? Well, Israel, before David, had become so backslidden and away from God that as they went into battle to fight the Philistines, they said, look, we could lose this battle. Let's go into the temple and let's take the Ark of the Covenant where God's glory dwelled in the Holy of Holies and let's take it into battle with it because if the Ark is there, we can't lose. Can I tell you something? When you have more faith in the furniture than the God, you might lose. You know, what's happened in a lot of churches, they, they'll, they'll have a church split over moving an altar, but they never go pray at it. Come on, don't shout me down. <laughs> you got people moving. My grandma prayed on that altar. Good for grandma. When's the last time you've been on it, you know? <laughs> you know, somebody came to the pastor and said, you know, pastor, I, I got to repent. I'm going to go put my tongue on the altar. And he said, it might fit, you know. So uh, <laughs> I can tell I need to move on. It's, I can tell. But there are going to be times where we have to understand it's not the forms, it's not the outer, it's not the furniture. It's God walking in our life. So they carry the ark into the battle against the Philistines and the Philistines destroyed them. And they stole the ark that represented the presence of God. And, and you know the story, we've heard it recently. They, they put it in the, uh, the temple of their gods and all the idols fell down on their face. Isn't that awesome? They fell down. And so finally, and then, and then sickness breaks out. So they said, we got to get this ark out of here. So they put it on a cart and spanked the, the, the cows and then rolled off. Said, get it out, get it back in Israel. We don't want to want this thing. And so it had been laying there. David becomes king. David says, I'm going to bring the presence of God back in this place. I want God more than anything else. And he brings it back. And what happens when David brings it back? Now, you remember all the intricate details of the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness, the coverings, the veils, the, the gold, the silver, the, all, the, all the order of going into the presence of God. And David brings the very Ark of the Covenant where the glory of God dwelt and just puts it under a tent, an open tent. That's where he places it. And so what happens at that moment? At that moment... What happens is David shifted the whole order. Everything began to shift. It, it, it was an incredible thing. I want you to understand that David uh, authorized in this tent without the veil, without everything else, just the ark and the presence of God. He said, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we will never stop praying and praising God in this tent. Now, I want you to understand, that's why God said, I'm going to raise up David's tabernacle. That's why God didn't say not Moses or Solomon's great temple, these beautiful places. He said, I'm going to raise up David's temple, David's tabernacle. Why? David shifted the whole order. It had never happened like that. This man was so hungry for God. Come on, I want you to hear me today. David was so hungry for the presence of God that God said, I know you're supposed to have the priest, and I know you're supposed to have the veil, and I know you're supposed to have an animal, and I know you're supposed... He said, but David, I can't turn away from you. Did you hear what I'm saying? You come hungry enough to God, and you may not know all the verses, and you may not know all the rules, and you may not know how to go through it, you may not know the protocol of the church, but if you are hungry enough, God's going to find you right where you are. God's going to welcome you into his presence. You may not have a degree. You may not have a title. You may not have these things. I'm going to tell you something, but when you get hungry, God says, come on in. Let, let's meet together. Come on in this place with me. You see, in, in, in Moses' tabernacle and in, and in Solomon's temple, only the high priest went into the holy place. 
only one day a year did the priest go in there and he would offer atonement and he would come in behind the veil into the Holy of Holies and there was the Ark of the Covenant and, and literally the Bible says the presence of God was glowing like a, a cloud but there over that Ark. And that priest would go in there in fear and trembling hoping that he had done everything right and made all the right steps because he didn't want to fall over dead in the glory of God. And it was one day, one moment, and the priest ran in and ran out as fast as he could. But you have to understand, in David's tabernacle, God said, I don't want a tabernacle where one man can go and nobody else could go. I don't want a place where you're afraid of my presence. I don't want a place where no one can come in. He said, David put up a plain, simple tent and put the ark in it. And do you know the 40 years he reigned as king, anybody could go there anytime they wanted to. Everybody was welcome. Can I give you some good news? God wants to build a church, a dwelling, a holy place where he says, come as you are. I don't care who you are, what you've done, what's happened. Come through my son Jesus and let's get in the house. Let's get in the house. Let me, let me, I'm, I'm kind of throwing verses everywhere. Let's go to Acts chapter 3, verse 19, 20, 21. I just want you to see this thing. God said, I'm restoring something. I'm building something. Look at this. Repent then, God said. See, every time we build a house of prayer, some things have to get out of the way. Are we willing to let some things get out of the way? Are we willing to say, God, I want your presence. I want your presence. God, I want your presence. I heard this story. I, I've shared it once before. Uh, been some time back. True story. There was a lady who began, she's a new Christian, so excited. She began a Bible study in her home for ladies. And they would come in and, and, and once a week. And her next door neighbor, she would invite, but she wouldn't come in. The neighbor wasn't a believer. She would invite her and the ladies would come. And, and uh, one day her next door neighbor, just being courteous, said, well, how's your Bible study going? She said, it's going great. And she says, in fact, we completely filled up my home. There's not room for another lady to come in and, and be in a Bible study. She goes, really? Yeah. And so the next week she looks, and there are six more cars than the week before. And she said, the unsaved neighbor said to her saved neighbor, I thought you said there weren't room for any more ladies in your house. I thought you couldn't bring anybody else in. She goes, oh, I started thinking if I just moved some of the furniture out on the patio, I had room for some more people to come in a Bible study. Anybody get what I just said? So you know what? Right now, you may be full, but you might enlarge your capacity if we get some Jebusites out. If we run some thieves, a thief, isn't that interesting? The devil's a thief who comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. If we begin to move some things, God's going to move in. God's going to do some great things in your life. So what do we see? Repent then. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Look at this. And times of what? Refreshing may come. Look at verse 20. And that he, God the Father, may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Look at verse 21. This is pretty amazing stuff. Heaven must receive him, Jesus. Hold him. Keep him. Until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his prophets. We read in Amos 9-11, God said, I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore. Do you know that right now, we're closer than we've ever been to the return of Jesus Christ? Do you know that God's restoring his church with his power and his presence? You know what I know? I know God wants everyone on this planet saved. 
I know that God wants to move mightily by His Spirit. And I believe, I don't know when the second coming will be. I don't know when Christ comes back for the church. But I'll tell you this, I believe that God's not going to let the church go out with a whimper. I don't believe the church is going to be hiding out when Jesus comes back. I believe He's going to pour His Spirit out in the greatest harvest of souls that have ever happened. The greatest amount of signs, wonders, and miracles that have ever happened are going to happen leading up to the return of Christ because God doesn't want anybody to miss this thing. God says, I'm going to restore. I tell you, church, we're at a point in time here where we can see God do some amazing things. I want you to think about this verse. Let's go to Psalm 134 and verse 1. Psalm 134 and verse 1. Look at this. I love this. This is what David wrote. I think, looking at that tabernacle he built, that plain ordinary tent with the Ark of the Covenant there and God's glowing presence there. A song of ascents. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Look at this. Who minister by night in the house of the Lord. I believe that David had probably laid down to rest one night. And he was laying there thinking about the goodness of God. You ever done that on your, on your bed? Thinking about how good God's been. What God has done. And the faithfulness of God. Come on, listen to me. We're talking about hunger here. And David said, you know... I think I'm going to go back over to the tabernacle one more time before I go to sleep tonight. I just want one more shot at the glory of God. I just want to see him one more time. And while David's walking up, he says, look at these saints ministering to God at night. As he began to walk, it was dark and, and there weren't street lights, but there was a glow inside that tabernacle that illuminated those worshipers, their hands in the air, their voices praising God. And that glow was the very presence of Almighty God. You see, in David's tabernacle, the only, the only wall that circled the presence of God were people worshiping and praising God. Not a curtain, not a veil. The only sacrifice that people brought in that temple was a sacrifice of praise. Anybody with me right now? And God began to do something there. And David said, when I look at night, they're praising God. So I'm beginning to ask myself, God, can we build David's tabernacle at Calvary? Can we begin to build a house, a dwelling place where, 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 where you are there all the time? You said, see, see, we've got some stuff now. We don't have to have, we don't even have to physically all be in the same room at one time. You just said if two or three. So I've, I've been praying and thinking, and I tried to do this a few years ago, but I, I don't think the time was right. So I'm going to begin to throw something out to you. There are 168 hours in a week. All we would need is 168 people to say, I'll take one hour every week at the same time. And Pastor, I'm going to be praying and praising God. You see where I'm headed? What if we, what if we can build a 24-7 prayer and worship that never stops around here? Can you imagine living your life connected to the tabernacle of David? Can you begin? We're working right now. Vern's helping me. We're, we're, we're building a software pro, uh, program right now where, you, where somebody can sign up. And uh, now, you know, there are going to be some crazy times, 2 to 3 a.m. on Thursday morning. Understand, just once a week. You, you understand? We gotta, we're filling every gap. And so once you begin to pray, God, uh, you, you can't sign up yet. I'm just casting a vision for you right now. We're still getting it all put together. But I'm beginning to look at this. God... If we begin to build this house of prayer, we begin to build a 24-7. Can you imagine? Anytime you wake up in the middle of the night and you're troubled or you're worried, 
or you're walking the floor because you're praying over your unsaved family. And you know, I'm not alone. We're praying right now. Come on. Right now, somebody's blessing the Lord. Right now, somebody's in agreement with me. And then, see, we can get together by, by you know, with your smartphone, your computer. And we can real-time put the prayer request out. Come on, you see what's going on with this thing? And, and, and so then we begin to build this house of prayer all over North Alabama. Look how sweet that is. Let, let's look at this. How many of you live in uh, Morgan County? Let me see your hand. Morgan County. All right, good. How many live in Limestone County? Let me see your hand. Limestone, good. How many are in Madison County? Let me see your hand. Good, All right? Uh, that's not so. I got uh, Lawrence County. Any Lawrence County in here? There you go. There you go. What about we got Coleman County in here today? We got Coleman County anywhere? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, there, yeah. What about? I'm, I'm, you're making me go far out here. Uh, Colbert County. Any Colbert counties in here? All right. What, uh, what about Marshall County? Colbert County. What about Marshall County? So see what what begin Winston County. We're going way down the other direction. See what begins to happen. Look at this. Twenty four seven. Come on, anybody with me? Twenty four seven. We begin to build a circle around North Alabama. We begin to have prayer and worship 24-7. And, 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 and like I said, you, you know, whatever you're seeing, somebody's there. Somebody's praying. You've always got somebody in agreement with you. We're creating an atmosphere. What does God begin to do? The presence of God begins to come. The glory of God begins to come. And God says, oh, Calvary, thank you. I'm just going to live with you, God. I'm just going to stay and dwell with you. And I'm going to release power to heal and change and deliver. I'm going to be honored because people are going to say, how did it happen? What happened? What, what, what took that place to the next level? So we prayed. We're praying. See what's going on. We're seeking the face of God. Somebody says, well, I don't know if I can pray an hour. We'll help you. We'll help you. Pray five, praise five. Come on. Well, now my advice to you at 2 a.m., get up out of the bed and walk while you're praying. Come on. God, who stand. Uh, the King James said, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Don't lay by night. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to build this. I believe, and we can have more than one pre- person praying at a time. How many believe we can build a tabernacle of David at this church? I believe we can. How many believe God wants us to build a tabernacle of David? It's going to be awesome. And we'll begin to build it, build it, build it, put it together. We're going to start working on that in the next two or three weeks. I want you to stand with me. I want our worship team to come. We're going to do something really powerful right now. We're going we're gonna to just step into this for a moment. Come on, worship team. I want you to join me. Here's what I love about this. Nobody's left out. Say nobody. Nobody's left out. Everybody's included. Everybody's a part of this. Anyone could walk into the temple. Can you imagine the people that had grown up and had never seen the presence of God, had never come that close, and I, and I just had this picture. I, I, I see a little, a little Jewish grandmother who loves God who loves God, who's been faithful to God, and they begin to tell her, hey, David built the tabernacle, and all that's in it is the ark, and the glory of God is in there. And we went in and didn't fall over dead. Grandma, you want to go back? Oh, yeah, I do. And that little grandma who's faithful all those years, she walks in. She's afraid, you know, because everybody told him, don't go past the veil. Don't go in there. God's, God's going to get you. But Grandma, she said, well, if, if my grandson Willie could go in and come out, I think I'm going to be okay. You know? So Grandma says, when can we go? Come on, anybody with me? And she walks and she looks. Maybe it was night. And there's something glowing around that tent. She said, what is that? I said, Grandma, that's the presence of God. The presence of God. Grandma pulls that veil back. 
she sees something she only dreamed about all of her life. The glory of God. She's never the same again. So let me help you with this. Why David? Why David? David never had an easy route. Listen to me. You're going to resonate with this. David was never the chosen one. David was never the first guy in line. Anybody with me right now? They come, he's watching his father's sheep. <laughs> and nobody's out there with him. He's the youngest and got the dirty job. But when a lion comes, David kills a lion without an audience. And the bear comes, he kills the bear. The prophet comes and he says, bring your, bring your boys. And they don't even get David out of the sheep fold. And the prophet says, the man of God's not in the room. You boys can't sit down until your little brother gets here. And in front of his brothers, they pour the oil of anointing on his head. I want you to hear me. I'm going to speak over you today. There's some people that will come into David's tabernacle, and God's going to anoint your head with oil. Listen to me. In the presence of your brothers, in the midst of those who discounted you, put you down, ridiculed and mocked your love for God, God's about to pour something on you, an anointing that's going to lift you up so David is anointed, but it wasn't like everybody else. And what did David learn that day? The prophet, God had to rebuke the prophet. He said, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. You know what's in the tabernacle of David? Men and women who may not be winners on the outside, but they've got a heart for God. They say, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And David's anointed to be the king, and he kills Goliath. But you've got to understand, to be king in that day, you have to be in the right family. It's royal succession. He doesn't belong. Again, he's on the outside. <laughs> but you kill enough bears, lions, and giants, a king will give you his daughter to marry. Now you can be the king. Things are looking good, but David never had an easy route. King Saul gets jealous of him. He says, I'm going to kill him. And he hides in caves and in the wilderness. But when he finally became the king, he didn't want revenge. He didn't want a palace. He didn't want a title. He said, I want the presence of God. You know why? Because when nobody else chose him, God had chosen him. When everybody overlooked him, God had never forgotten him. When everybody said, you're too young, you're too short, you can't do this thing, you can't wear Saul's armor, God had always been with him. And David said, if God carried me from the sheep to the throne, I'm not going to abandon my God right now. I'm going to trust in the Lord. But the great thing about David is that he didn't keep it to himself. And he said, if God will do this for me, he'll do it for somebody else. So he put a little tent up. And don't you know they mocked him and laughed at him? But God says, I'll live in this tent, David, because of your heart. And people who had never come close walked in that tent and wept at the presence of God, overwhelmed at the presence of God. People that were foreigners and didn't have a place. And you know what my heart is? At Calvary, we built such a tabernacle that the people no one else wanted, they can come find him here. The people that life kicked them to the curb and rejected them, you can find God here. You made some mistakes and you blew it. And you were wrong. You blew it. 
But you come to God and say, God, if I can get inside that tabernacle, God, if I can just get close enough to you, I believe you're going to change things. And people that have lost their first love and used to love and pray and weep in the presence of God and don't even care anymore. You know what I believe? I believe if you get close enough, God's going to take that heart and warm it up again. And you're going to love God and the end's going to be greater than the beginning. Anybody with me on this? See, I believe God says, I'm going to build a house. Prayer is going to do it. Worship's going to do it. And I'm just crazy enough to believe we can do it. <laughs> I, I, I just believe we can do it. I believe this week is prophetic. A physical house came down and God says, I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. We're going to build something that nobody can even think, ask, or imagine. We're going to do it. So I want us to go, Nicole, to that song to the dry bones. I mean, I just, my God, that's what I want. I want us to sing that. Put the words up here, the lyrics up here. Today, I want to tell you something. I believe God's resurrecting the tabernacle of David. I believe the dry bones of ritual and religion are going to be pushed out of the way and life's going to come back. How many would be honest enough with your pastor and say, God, I'll let you renew some things in me. Anybody? Anybody want to join your hand and my hand? God, renew some things in me. Renew some things in me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.